Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by Gage. Gage is a free and open source test automation tool by ThoughtWorks with a goal of taking the pain out of test automation for acceptance tests. To help with this, Gage supports specifications and markdown, which are easy to read and easy to write. Reusable specifications to simplify your code, which makes refactoring easier and less code means less time maintaining your code. And finally, integration. Use Gage with your favorite tools and IDEs in the ecosystem of your choice, like Selenium and Sahi Pro, CI and CD tools like GoCD, Jenkins, Travis, and IDE support for Visual Studio, VS Code, IntelliJ, and more. Head to gage.org slash jsparty to learn more and give it a try. Once again, gage.org slash jsparty. Welcome to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the show at changelaw.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at JS Party FM. And now on to the show. Welcome to JS Party, everyone. Today's episode is super exciting. You're talking about, once again, everybody's favorite topic. I always feel like every time we come on, or I come on as MC, we're talking about a super fun topic. And today's topic is documentation. My working title for it was What's Up Doc in oh, um, the, nice. like, from the cartoons. But I don't know if like Disney's kind of come down and like rain hell upon us for using that. <laughs> I think it's worth finding out. I think we should try and see what happens. I know we should we should test that. All right. So joining me today, we've got Nick Nisi. I've got Chris. We've got Jerod. Howdy, everybody. Hello. Hello. Hi. So I want to just dive in with what I think is the most important question to answer whenever you're trying to start any documentation effort whether it's in open source or in your company or where is wherever, which is how do you get people to actually care about documentation in general? Uh, we're all busy people, busy developers, and sometimes documentation is one of those things that's at the bottom of the list of concerns and maybe not even on it. So how do we get people to put it towards the top and start dedicating more time and money to it? That was a tough question. It's okay if you, the answer is we have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my answer. I, I, I mean, it seems kind of like uh, get, getting your company to care about about testing. Um, it, that's maybe a little easier sell with all the you know studies around how um, you know like an agile workflow and continuous integration can help you. But documentation, there just there isn't that like science there. Um, mm. It's 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 tough. Uh, I, I have no idea how how you get that to become important unless you, you know, build your organization out with with a culture that says you know this is important to us and make it a core value. I think it starts with individuals, and I think specifically you have to first convince yourself that this is important. And I think many of us fall down there. I know I certainly have in the past. Some of that is because I work on such small teams, in fact, uh, often a team of one, so that documentation uh, almost only exists either in my head or on inline comments. 
which, you know, are actually worth their weight in gold if they're contextual and and not out of date um, over time. So that's one way of like slowly convincing yourself that documentation is worth it is to return to your code after six months, eight months, 12 months and realize that it's insufferable and and you cannot understand what's going on without uh, some good inline uh, documentation and then branching out from there. But we also have to convince ourselves that it's worthwhile. And like you said, Safia, or maybe it was uh, uh, Chris, the, the ROI or like the, the benefit is not super tangible or immediate. And a lot like with tests, although like you said, with tests, regressions, uh, eventually upper management or the, the decision makers realize, okay, this is going to reduce our total cost of ownership. Um, I wonder if there are such studies around documentation, but I think we have to convince ourselves first. And that can sometimes be very hard to do as well, because it's not the funnest thing to do. It's often the last thing that we do. And uh, if we're not writing our stuff specifically for a broad audience, we often think, you know, do I really need this? And the answer is lots of times yes, even though we tend to decide no. Yeah, you bring up a good point that I started to think about, which is what are the financial returns for having good documentation for your code base? Um, And I don't know, again, if there's anyone who's done anything quantitative around this, but I imagine that when you're thinking about onboarding or implementing new features or refactoring, the more documentation you have, the less time those like very pricey developers spend trying to figure out how to do something and more time they spend doing it because the documentation's already there. Again, I'm not sure if there's any you know, solid research on that. But if anyone is listening um, live and has heard of some research around this topic, uh, let us know on the Slack or on Twitter. I'd love to see more and learn more about something, uh, more rigorous evidence for that. I think it's important to point out there's, you know, there's internal documentation and then there's, you know, client facing, this Uh is how you consume our API type documentation. And I, I can see those being two very, uh, two very kind of different efforts with different people involved and, um, you know, different priorities. And I think the one thing that, that, uh, becomes a problem is, is once you convince yourself that you need the documentation and you get it written and it's all nicely written, things don't stay the same. So things will change over time. And there's oftentimes not really an automated way to know whether the documentation is updated or needs updating. Uh, and so then it, it becomes just this terrible thing, this terrible black box uh, out in the world that may or may not be accurate. And nobody really wants to go spend the time to update it because it's often very verbose mm. and, and just a lot of work. The only thing worse than no docs is wrong docs, right? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We um, found at, at an old company of mine, it was, we, we had a very complex uh, software project, <laughs> a product. And, um, you know, we had people doing, uh, basically guides or tutorials. Um, it's, you know, it's reference documentation, it's how to's, uh, and a, a big part of this would be creating actual, like, here's a screenshot. Here's e- even a, a video in some cases of how you get X thing done, but it doesn't scale when you're developing rapidly. It, it the things need changing all the time, and so you know the the faster you want to release, well, uh, you're going to be waiting uh, for the documentation team to make their new screenshots, and and oh oh my god, no, it's uh, that's difficult, and I think it, it, at some 
level, it it means um, well, you know, your user interf- maybe you shouldn't be making software that that's com- so complicated, you know, yeah. uh, and 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 have a user interface that's that's much more um, kind of discoverable and obvious. But that's kind of a that's a barrel of something. So I was thinking about this, and I actually saw a funny tweet this morning from Khalil Tweets, um, who is a JavaScript developer. Maybe you'll know him from, is it Nested Loops, the the reggae-style JavaScript band that performs at JSConf sometimes? Uh, interesting guy, and I think he's on the Reactive podcast, which is pretty cool as well. And uh, it was just timely, so I, I jotted it down. He said, it turns out not writing documentation when you write internal libraries creates a huge hurdle for onboarding developers. Who knew? <laughs> and uh that's a fact and this you only, you only you only learn that in retrospect right when you see those new developers coming in and fumbling over things for too long because you assumed your internal libraries were self-documenting code or whatever we tell ourselves um and that comes back to bite you <laughs> yeah on, on dojo we um when we hire on new developers at SitePen, we uh, do have them go through the dojo documentation and we do often learn a lot from that and and get tweets or get, not get tweets we get prs made to <laughs> to uh, all tweets. Our, our repos yeah uh but we we've also kind of like the benefit of having it be in the open uh, like with an open source project is that you get to um kind of outsource that a little bit too so uh like we have a discord set up and we'll often get you know, I tried to do this step in the documentation or in in the tutorial, and it didn't work. Can you help me out? And we can often it helps us to find to pinpoint the locations where things are wrong, and then isolate those and and fix them. But that's not a, something that can happen on closed projects. So there's problems yeah. there. I've had experience with documentation in both the open source ecosystem and then like on projects and internal work and stuff like that. And it's always easier to make documentation a big effort in the open source ecosystem because A, it's often big companies who are consuming your open source library. So when they are the ones who have to come in as the outsiders to figure out how to use something, they're way more invested in funding or supporting work to document it. And then B, there tends to be like a more, I guess, like fun and welcoming culture around documentation and open source. There's like conferences like Read the Docs or um, Mm -hmm. I know projects that have done things like documentation sprints where everyone just comes in for a sprint that's like a week long and nobody writes any code. All you write is documentation. It doesn't matter if you're an ACE developer or a designer or whatever. Everyone's just focused on writing documentation and I don't think there's that same kind of a need and b like structure and methods for pushing forward through documentation in closed companies. One of the best companies I've worked out where they had really great documentation was at a large financial institution. Um, and I remember I was 17 years old. I'd gotten an internship as a software engineer with this company the summer before I started college. And on my first day there, they linked me to their documentation page. And they had literally like every line of code, every concept, every tool, everything outlined in their organization. And then they also not just had the code documented, but also kind of the financial and the non-technical side of things documented too for their engineers. And for them, it was twofold. They were doing a lot of hiring and working with contractors. So they needed that documentation in place to like have people on board very smoothly and get 
be productive quickly. Um, There's also another interesting dimension to it was that it was kind of part of their auditing process where they would Mm. have to show this documentation or have documentation written out for the software that they produced, um, whether it was like internally or for external customers. So there was like that. I think that was there's that interesting pressure when you have like an external auditor coming in and documentation is one of the things they look at when they're trying to figure out if you're up to compliance or standards. Um, so maybe that's what we need. We just need a giant body to come in and audit everybody and make sure you have docs written. No, thanks. <laughs> I was, I was obviously joking about that. That'd be horrible. Curious um, if you think that the auditing was the, the impetus or the, the reason for the documentation culture, or if that was something that perhaps emanated down from the founders or just from your own, you know, your take from an, from an intern's perspective, like where did that culture come from? Did it, was it there from the beginning? Was it there because of auditing? What was the actual reason it definitely, for it? It definitely felt like a big part of it was for auditing. One of the things that struck me about the organization in general was that so many of the technical decisions that were made and like the project management decisions were dependent on like auditing requirements and compliance and regulations and yada, 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 yada. It was like a whole other world where... Um, and I think in that situation where it's like, like a, in the world of finance, it's completely rightful for them to have a lot of regulations and compliance to uphold. Yeah. But that was a huge impetus for a lot of the decisions they made around documentation and testing and what kind of, I know this is probably a common one that people have heard of, but what kind of open source packages they use and stuff like that. So I'll call Chris here in the chat room, uh, since you're also here on the call, Chris, talking about test suites as kind of a a proxy or maybe a low fidelity documentation that at least has the advantage of less likely to be outdated versus pure prose. You want to expand on that, Chris, or does that pretty much explain what you're talking about there in the chat room? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, uh, you mentioned that the, the tweet about, uh, you know, we're not writing documentation, um, you know, it creates a problem for onboarding people. Right. And somebody in that thread mentioned that, you know, you that basically they asked, you know, is what's the matter? Aren't the aren't the tests good enough? And, you know, the you know, you sort of, well, they don't really replace like a- actual documentation. But I mean, however you feel about that, I don't I don't really have an opinion. But I mean it, Assuming your test coverage is good, it's often more, you know, and and your your build is green. Then the tests reflect reality. Well, there's there's nothing um, that says the the English or or in whatever language that that you're describing your API with um, is is necessarily correct. Uh, mm-hmm. There's there are ways to you know run CI against example code, and and that would be a good way to catch problems, um, and and suggest to somebody working on the documentation that you know this this area needs to be updated because the examples broke. So I need to readjust my assumptions about how this work and works, and maybe um, you know change my phrasing or, or or whatever I need to do to 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 change the description of the of the, uh, of the API surface, but there, there's nothing, there's no like automated tooling to make sure your documentation is, um, you know, current and correct in that way. 
That comment brings up a really interesting distinction. The comment specifically about, well, you know, isn't your test suite good enough documentation for your code base? And I think it helps to determine whether it's an open source project or an internal project, what is the audience and the goal of the documentation? Because I think what tests replace is like API documentation. Um, And then you've got other types of documentation that your project might need, which is things like reference guides or like play-by-play tutorials and things like that. And so I think often I think it's not a gap of like documentation in general, although that is the case. It's more about a specific type of documentation that doesn't exist because people aren't aware of the audience that they need to serve with that documentation and what the goals of that audience are. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's interesting because you have to kind of exercise this whole other part of your brain that's all of those kind of writing principles you learned from elementary school onwards, like figure out who your audience is, like learning what they want, um, appealing to their emotions, catering your language to them, um, and all of that stuff, which I think is interesting and a kind of fun break away from the coding part of things. Um, but, but yeah, that's been my observation is that it tends to be more about figuring out what who the people who are going to be reading your documentation are and what it is that they want and moving from there. I was just thinking about this, this premonition of somebody asking, aren't your, isn't your test suite, you know, somewhat good enough to be your documentation to that? Perhaps I would say, what test suite are you talking about? What is, what are these tests you're referring to? (laughs) (laughs) Or or it's often the case where you come in on a project and the tests aren't, not all of them pass. And (laughs) people just don't even like, they don't rely on it at all. So that's, that's another problem. That's like outdated docs, right? Tests that don't pass and you just, you just ignore them. Well, that (laughs) one's been failing for months. Just leave it. (laughs) It's just a flake. Right. A 10 month long flake. And then there's the case where you're, Although your coverage number might be pretty high, your tests are actually not a good reflection of the like intricacies of your API. Because I think that's sometimes where it might be at odds. Like you might be covering lines of code and like branch statements, but you're not really getting at like, I don't know how I feel about that statement that tests are documentation. Because I don't think there's like things that are in people's brains that aren't captured by tests, even good coverage tests. Yeah. I'm not explaining myself very well right now, but hopefully <laughs> you all and everyone listening understands my like jumbled words. And the test might not be written in a way that you would really interact with with that code. They might be like like unit tests, for example, would be trying to, to test a single unit and uh, that may not be how you, you necessarily work with it. And maybe the code doesn't have um, more higher level tests like integration that, that mm-hmm. you can look at, or they don't have them with as much fidelity as, as the uh, the unit test, for example. Mm. Yeah, that's a great distinction. Maybe we can get into this during the tooling section, but I am thinking of at least one or two efforts out there um, going back to this idea of, you know, really documentation that stays up to date and perhaps is executable or has, I think there's tools that where you have, at least for inline docs, um, contracts between the documentation and the functions that are exercised. And like, mm. Chris, you were talking about working that into CI. I know there's efforts there. I can't think of what they are at the top of my head. Maybe I can find them during the break where people are actually having this uh, relationship between the code being described and the uh, comments or the document, the inline docs that are right above it. And you can actually run those through and um, at least make sure they're not wildly outdated. Kind of cool. 
Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I also can't think of the name, which is rather unfortunate in this case. (laughs) That being said, we are about a third of the way through and there's a lot to discuss and share. Uh, We're going to take a break, but right after the break, we're going to start to answer a question that's probably musing in y'all's mind, which is, let's say you've got everybody committed to documenting some code. Uh, What are some tools you can use to start making the documentation effort easier in your code base? Um, All that is right after the break. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Rollbar. Check them out at rollbar.com slash changelog. Move fast and fix things like we do here at Changelog. Catch your errors before your users do with Rollbar. If you're not using Rollbar yet or you haven't tried it yet, they have a special offer for you. Go to rollbar.com slash changelog. Sign up and integrate Rollbar to get $100 to donate to open source projects via Open Collective. Once again, rollbar.com slash changelog. And we're back. In the last segment, we talked about how you can get people to start caring about documentation in your organization. Now we're going to talk about something else that's also interesting, which is what kind of tools can you start to use to make writing documentation easier um, and get people to adopt it more readily? So anyone have recommendations for documentation tools they like in particular? I think Markdown has been phenomenal for documentation. It makes it so easy to to write docs that look good and have syntax highlighting, uh, sp- specifically with like GitHub readmes and, and things like that. But it just makes it really easy to have decent looking docs from the go. One of the ones that I wrote down was Style Guidest, which is a documentation tool for React components, and it allows you to spin up a live server and develop your React component and document it using a markdown file um, in one go. Um, and the place where I've had experience with that is actually in the open source project I help maintain called Interact. We've got Style Guidance documentation set up for our React components. And one of the biggest benefits of it actually ended up not being related to documentation at all, but related to getting new contributors onto the project. Because what it allows us to do is spin up a quick live server with the documentation where new contributors can start to fix bugs or add features to a single component in a silo away from wherever that component is used um, in the app. And that makes it really easy for people to focus on the things that need to be fixed or addressed um, and not have to worry about like, oh, you know, this component is used here, so I have to go in this file to fix it. No, it's just here's the component file, here's the markdown file, here's the command you run to set up your live server, be free. Write the docs, write the code. It's like magical. Uh, fly, little bird. I This is really cool. So I haven't seen this yet. So I'm just over here kind of munching on its uh, docs or at least its sales pitches on the homepage. And uh, I think, I mean, just the React, the component style development, I think has been a boon for opening up tools like this. Um, isn't there a Storybooks tool as well? And just like this idea of... Mm-hmm interacting uh, with the code and the outputted product, as well as reading the documentation inline. Uh, it also reminds me a little bit of uh, literate programming. Is anybody familiar with the concept of literate programming? It was gaining steam, I think, probably five or 10 years ago with people like Jeremy Ashkenes and 
uh, others, but I haven't heard about it recently. Is this something y'all are familiar with? Uh, no. Yes, it's the notion of kind of, I might be familiar with it in one specific context, but I'll let you explain it for everybody else. Yeah, so I mean, I, and I'm 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 only uh, surface level familiar with it as well. I've I guess consumed some literary programming. I've never tried to write it, but I think it was Donald Knuth that uh, that invented it or at least described it. And the idea is that the program should tell a story, much like you would write a novel or a, a narrative. And so, um, alongside interspersed with the code is snippets and examples and pr- prose. Uh, that really kind of weave a story to describe what this code is doing. And I, the the programs that I've seen documented in this way have been, um, it, it's almost an art. I think that's part of the reason why it's it's talked about and done, but isn't like massively used. Um, but we'll definitely link to more information on that in the show notes. But just looking at the React Style Guide, and I think the most popular project that I remember that was documented in a literate programming style was Coffee script, or maybe it was underscore. So Jeremy Ashkinis uh, was the creator of underscore JS and Coffee Script, and he was a big proponent of literate programming. So you'll see some of his stuff documented in this way. And if I can find one, I'll show, throw that in the show notes too, because it's definitely a different style and something to appreciate. I think it's very difficult, much like writing a novel, it's very difficult to weave a tale <laughs> around your code and not exactly agile as you know as your software changes. I'm sure your story must change as well, but that being said, seeing this React style guide and seeing the the description kind of right in there with the code and with the examples, it reminds me at least of this style of docs. I've I've seen um, that style literate the the literate style um, of documentation, and it's pretty cool. But if we're having trouble getting people to write documentation at all, um, it, literate this literate programming, it just seems like another level a higher level of effort that you you know what i mean it's just it's as as jared said it's it's it looks harder than than just even writing basic docs that's why i think i appreciate it it's like aspirational documentation i can provide a little bit of insight into that so it's really funny that you mentioned that because the open source project that i maintain is actually a project called interact which is we call it an interactive notebook app Um, But the idea is that you can, it's a desktop application. There's also a web app version and you can build literate programming documents. So you can have uh, notes interspersed with executable code cells that um, you can run as like code that you would usually run. And the way that it's mostly used actually is not by programmers, but by like data scientists and analysts to document their analytics code. Um, so when you're you know doing some kind of research and you've like written up some script to do some math or something like that, you would use literate programming to explain you know how you derived the math, how you derived the parameters for the particular code that you're writing, and just kind of like it's almost like writing a proof for. Um, math problems. Um, hmm. And <laughs> did, did I hear a few people just shudder because of the fear? Um, <laughs> no, that was just an interesting yeah. comparison. But now that you mention it, yeah, <laughs> shudder. <laughs> yeah, so I'd say it, I, I think the context I've seen it used most is not to document like APIs, but it's more to document like references or situations where you're actually using a particular library. Um, 
or I guess here's a good way to put it, where most of the effort to come up with a particular bit of code is like behind the scenes. It's situations where you're like doing machine learning and you've done like a lot of parameter tuning beforehand and you figured out what parameters you need mm-hmm. for a particular model. And now you need to write some plain text in English to explain that to whoever's reading it um, and, and things like that. So I think it's got like a time over place. I'm a big advocate for it, obviously, because I work on this open source project, but I think it's a really interesting paradigm. Um, not just in the example I gave you, but also in early education. Um, Teachers really like using it when they're teaching kids how to code because it allows you to kind of like, you know, make a worksheet that explains what a particular piece of code is and have um, your students fill in the code that they need to program and all that. Um, So I guess just the, it's, it's one of those things where I think it's got applications outside the world of engineering and more in the world of where like, other disciplines start to interact with software. If it's good for early learners, um, do you think it would be good for, um, you know, just tutorials, I suppose, or, or writing guides or, or maybe even something like in the way that people use glitch now? Um, mm-hmm. would, yeah. I mean, would that be something that, I mean, yeah. um, it, se- it seems like if you want to run one of these things, you can run a Jupyter I mean, because this is Jupiter based. You, yeah, I mean, if you have this like workbook, can you run it? Like, you probably just can't run it on your web, like documentation website, right? You'd have to download the runtime and all that. There are, um, there's a service called Binder, which is basically just kind of like um, a backend as a service for these types of documents that allows you to connect to all of the like compute resources that you need um, and the execution resources that you need to run it. And um, the way I've seen it applied is when somebody's like running a tutorial workshop on like a package or something at a conference, they will write up their tutorial in a Jupyter notebook, put it up on the web, spit it up to point to Binder, which is this like um, resource as a service, I guess, and then just have folks interact with that. So you can run it in the cloud. Um, And I think there's like, Azure has a service where you can run notebooks in the cloud too, and it's getting to be like pretty integrated with different cloud providers too. Yeah, there's this also this thing that NPM seems to partner with called RunKit. Like it mm. used to be called something else, I can't remember. But um, yeah, it, you, it, whenever you view a module on npmjs.com, you you can click like try it in RunKit, and it it will load up like um, I don't know some example code in this essentially a notebook mm-hmm. um i don't i don't know this is probably unrelated to, to jupiter but it's uh, kind of a similar idea but i mean i haven't seen people use this sort of thing very often so maybe there's something that is preventing people from wanting to use a, a notebook for for guides and tutorials. Yeah, I know it's pretty popular in the Python world, so it might just be a methodology that hasn't been completely translated to JavaScript yet, but I'm working on that. Um, so, yeah. One of the aspects or the characteristics of the Python community is a huge emphasis and uh, on spectacular docs. And so if, if anything, you know, I love the idea of prop uh, cross propagation of ideas, like the good stuff, like let's spread that around to all these different environments, right? So, um, if if us JS folks could steal anything from the Python folks, it would be their documentation, not just the results, but just how much they 
value it. And I think read the docs is, is a great example of that. So what about more traditional things? I mean, isn't everybody, I mean, for API docs or for library documentation, um, Chris, you have Mocha is, is Mocha documented with like JS doc? Is that like still what people use pretty much? Um, is it up to snuff? What's the situation for kind of traditional library or, um, like a library API and not like a REST API style docs? Is it still JS doc? Uh, essentially. I mean, JS doc popularized this idea of doc, doc strings or, and, and, and tags in your, um, in your document. And so you'll use a multi-line comment and then there you'll have at something um, like at, um, I don't know, param. And you can use this tag and describe your, your parameters. And so there's, there's a few things. So JS doc has been around for a long time yeah. and um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it has issues like as a so it it's it's two things it's it's kind of like a specification for uh, these tags you can use but it's also um, a thing which you give it your code and it, it it poops out documentation and so it's it's problematic as a tool because it's you can't really consume it programmatically anyway it's just people have tried to write a replacements for js doc but it, it it's the the problem space in javascript especially um because it's a dynamic language is it's difficult enough that all of this institutional like knowledge or whatever you want to call it or the, the the problem domain that 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 js doc has kind of attacked over the over the years is is so wide and and, and complicated that these newer projects that are trying to do the same thing are really having a tough time. Um, I think getting the, the coverage uh, across all of these different tags. And so, um, you know, even some projects have written custom tools to, and, and, you know, they'll, they'll define their own custom tags. Like for example, um, angular, I remember this is the first one I saw. So angular, I don't know, one or, or what have you. Um, they wanted to document, right? And so Google had uh, Google Closure, which uh, it was a compiler, but it, it's also consumed these JS doc tags. And I don't quite understand the history of that. But for for reasons, um, you know, it, it, I think it was that the dependency injection model didn't really make a whole lot of sense to what JS doc was doing. Um, Angular had to write its own tool, kind of, and and have its own doc strings, and it would parse its its source code and and output it out output its own API documentation, and it was so specific, such that if you were writing an Angular library or third party module, you couldn't really consume what the Angular team was using to to describe their own code. And so it's, it's just a really difficult problem with JavaScript to generalize and, and get coverage and be able to describe in these tags because JavaScript is so expressive, like everything that your language can do. So um, TypeScript though, like in, in flow and that sort of things, I haven't seen too many tools around it, but I can only imagine the stories better there simply because you have types and because you have types and they're, you know, they're kind of self-documenting and all this. Um, that solves quite a few of the problems, and I would imagine it's much more easy 
Um, essentially, I mean, I, I can only guess because I haven't seen any code or anything to generate API documentation from from TypeScript sources, um, then from from JavaScript because all you have in JavaScript are just these doc tags or these tags and these doc strings, you know, from JS doc. A long time ago, you know, this probably JS doc came came out probably ES three era, um, and it's had to evolve ever since then. You know, it's. Uh, it's a, it's a tough nut to crack for JavaScript, and and I don't think there are really, um, there's no there's no really killer tool that's come out since that has just kind of disrupted, for lack of a better word, you know what JS stock is doing. And so Mocha uses JS stock, um, it works okay. You know I'm not in love with it, but we have some API documentation which is automatically generated from from our doc strings and our code comments, and that's cool. That's actually a, a fairly recent addition. We had the doc strings, but we, nobody ever bothered to run it through the documentation generator. Um, it'd be nice to have you know something that I don't know. It seems to work well enough for our means, but I can definitely see you know, maybe if we wanted. Yeah, more flexible templates and, and things like that uh, because JS doc is really the whole, it's the whole can of worms. It's, it's input, output, templating, et cetera. Um, so that's, yeah. that's the story I have for Mocha and, and uh, JS doc. I can speak to TypeScript a little bit uh, because it is a, a little bit of a different story there, uh, better or worse, but there, there is a tool called type doc that is very much the, the JS doc syntax, but uh, you don't have to fill out nearly as much because it can just ask the TypeScript compiler what what's this type. So if you're like naming the params, uh, you can have a a code comment above your your function and then say at param and then just give a description of what that is and it will figure out oh that's a string or that's a boolean or whatever uh, based on the the types um, and that's really cool. The TypeScript compiler itself has um, the ability to to like pass it a token and say, give me JS doc comments for this if it has any, and it'll return you the JS doc comments. And then you can parse that yourself if you're just using the compiler API. So it's, it's easy to, to build out tools. And then um, kind of going back to JavaScript a little bit, the TypeScript compiler itself can take JS doc style comments and actually infer from that the types in your JavaScript code. And I know that that's what, I think that's what uh, Webpack is doing where they're adding JS doc style comments with types about everything. And then they're getting the uh, type support that they need without converting fully to TypeScript by having TypeScript parse the JS doc comments for that information. I'm curious to know with type doc, do you know if there's uh, good support for generating documentation from um, TS doc strings in a mono repo of packages. This is a very mm. specific problem that I've been running into <laughs> since yesterday, trying to get JS doc to run against a mono repo. It has been a while since I've looked at it, so I, mm. I can't really speak to that, unfortunately. Okay. But yeah, when we talk about some of the problems with JS doc, that's one that I ran into recently where it's kind of the standard hasn't caught up with some of the more modern, I guess, project scaffolding methodologies. Yeah. And one thing that we do with TypeDoc is we take the, uh, so TypeDoc has the ability to parse your code and then generate this object that represents your code uh, and everything in it. And then it will pass that to a renderer and render everything out. We actually don't use that because uh, I think we didn't like the way that the default TypeDoc renderer looks. Um, mm -hmm. And so instead we have it output a JSON file that has everything in it. And then we parse that ourselves into a custom renderer and, and then render our docs from that. 
And it just gives us a little bit more information, a little bit more um, uh, customization that we can do specifically around making it easier to search and, um, and find docs faster. That doesn't sound like a trivial undertaking. No. <laughs> yeah. All right. We are coming up close to the second third of the hour. Uh, this is a really interesting segment. I learned a ton. I know I'm going to, as soon as I get home, start to investigate TypeDoc and see where I can start to use it in some of the documentation work that I'm doing. Um, so in our next segment, we're going to come back and talk about some examples of documentation that exist out in the wild that are really great. Uh, leave you out with some inspiration. All that when we're back. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at .tech, a new top-level domain extension to consider when purchasing your next domain for your next big idea. .tech is a domain extension specifically intended for the tech community. And more often than not, I don't know about you, but when I search for a URL to consider for a big idea, the .com, the .net, and many others are already taken or they're quite costly to register. So with one year starting at $4.99 and five years starting at $24.99, when you use our special code changelog, they're super affordable to grab, snag, and use. Head to get.tech to get started. Once again, get.tech to get started and use our code changelog or click through using the link in the show notes. And by our friends over at DigitalOcean. What we love most about DigitalOcean is one-click installs, deploys that are super easy. It doesn't really require you to know much about a server to get up and running one-click installs for Node.js to an SSD cloud server in literally 55 seconds or even less. And the same experience you can have with a one-click install, you can have with pretty much anything you build out by taking a snapshot of your droplet. You can build out the best JavaScript app-friendly server and literally deploy it with no time at all. Manage your own stuff, run your own stuff, deploy it to DigitalOcean and make life easy for you. Head to do.co slash changelog, pay less, deploy more, build better web apps with DigitalOcean, and a free $100 credit. Once again, do.co slash changelog. And we are back for the third segment. Uh, we're going to talk about some examples of documentation that is out in the wild that we really like. Uh, does anyone want to share some of their favorite documentation? I do. Please do. And, and I, <laughs> I, I just said that I didn't have anything, but then I thought of something. So, And I just wanted to say it before anybody else did. I really love MDN. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's not the prettiest thing in the world, but it's like it's it's something I can really count on to be to have accurate um information it you know the uh it, it's good they, they help you understand like the history of of the ap uh, of the javascript api and uh, yeah i just the, the the effort at nbm is just it's phenomenal and i i love it so i'm glad that exists i'm glad um you know people kind of stopped going to w3 schools and are we're <laughs> often yeah. looking at mdn now so do you remember when MDM first launched and it was like there was a concentrated effort to get its search rank above W3 schools? They came out and said, everybody linked to MDM from their personal websites and from blog posts and from Stack Overflow and whatnot. 
so that we can get this to rank higher than W3 schools. And uh, it worked. And it was pretty cool because markedly better. And I think they're working on making it um, output as a parsable output as well. So you can ingest pieces of the documentation into your own stuff if you need, which is really cool. That is cool. That is neat. But I really like I really like that you can just figure out something that you need, like, oh, how how do I use fetch again? And you just type fetch MDN into your search and you're there. It's it's so great. Well, uh, speaking of API docs, I think uh, I'll give a shout out to Stripe, who I believe changed the game with regard to how people were documenting APIs uh, as services. The way that they have uh, example code that's executable, it's uh, copy-pastable snippets for not just any language, you know, a specific language, but like all supported languages, including curl in case you haven't quite picked a language yet. <laughs> and, uh, just the, the information architecture. I think a lot of companies have come behind Stripe and basically jacked their style, which is great for the world because it's, it's very easy to uh, browse, easy to peruse. And they even do, uh, the Stripe always sweats the details. They do this uh, little thing where they're inter they'll integrate your personal info um, into the documentation if you're signed in. And so if you're perusing their doc signed in and they have a code snippet that requires like an OAuth token or whatever it happens to be, uh, they will actually put your test API key into like the curl code so that you can actually copy paste it and not have to swap it in yourself. So uh, I love Stripe's docs, always have. And I think they really drilled it with a developer-focused API. Um, and I think that a, a lot of different companies have taken Stripe's example and, and run with it, and that's awesome too. I guess following on with Stripe, one of the documentations that I wanted to mention was actually Twilio's, um, which kind of adopts similar philosophy to Stripe. You know, you've got your copy-paste snippets for a lot of languages. It integrates some of your personal key codes. Um, and one thing I really like about it, I think Stripe does this too, is it's goal-oriented documentation. So when you head over to their homepage, one of the first things you see is it says, hey, do you want to learn how to make phone calls with Twilio? Do you want to learn how to send text messages? Do you want to learn about WebRTC? Um, and so it comes in catering to what the end goal is. Um, and I really dig that. Yeah, I think the one, one that I really like is um, Chai. I, I was just trying to think of one and one that I end up using quite a lot uh, because we use Chai for a lot of our assertions is uh, is that. And I just appreciate that it's really easy to to uh, search for the different types of assertions because that seems to be always the thing that I'm forgetting about. You know, is there something more specific than strict equal that I can use? Uh, and it makes it really easy to, to find that. But now uh, with TypeScript, uh, I get a lot of that for free because I get auto-completion and uh, it just lets me know that. But also... Uh, it pops up with the doc comment, which is basically the same stuff that's on the website and just lets me know. Another good one that I think of that I use often and always appreciate is a little DOM library called Umbrella.js. And so this would be a good example if you are uh, writing a, a JavaScript library that has uh, somewhat of a small um, surface area, um, but just a bunch of simple functions that you can call and things that I appreciate about this. So let's think of it like a, a modern little jQuery, just smaller and and a little bit less functionality, but everything can can fit on one page. And that's a nice little hack for people who don't want to build a search function into their docs, but want it to be all searchable is just put everything on one page. If you're, if your uh, surface area is small enough and we can command F or control F our way to finding what we need 
without having yeah. to go page to page. So that's a nice little uh, feature without writing any code, which is like my favorite kind of feature. Yeah. And one of the mm-hmm. things I noticed that I really liked about this Umbrella JS website kind of links back to a previous topic of conversation is it's got a little link to their test suite. So you can run their tests and view the execution, like yep. right next to the documentation, basically. That's super neat. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's a well-designed site altogether. So UmbrellaJS.com, we'll link that one up as well. And I didn't have a chance. I was going to hop over and see how they're actually building their docs, um, if they're using a tool. But it might just all be, I'm looking at their website now, it looks like maybe just all handwritten documentation.html. So probably not generated, mm, although this yeah. doesn't look like handwritten HTML. So maybe, check that out. Because lots of times you say, oh, that's really great. I wish I could just have the same thing. And you go find out they're using a tool and you can use that tool as well. But maybe not the case here. Either way, a great example to emulate. This isn't really an example of great documentation, but it's a great um, add-on to documentation. And that's Code Sandbox or or similar tools uh, where like we, we use that on Dojo for, for our tutorials. And you can walk through everything without having to set up an environment at all. You just click this link and you're set up with the full environment with an editor, with completion and everything right there. And then you can change the code and run it. And just getting that immediate feedback can often be uh, be the big difference that makes you understand something that much quicker. Probably a good time to tease our upcoming show on Code Sandbox. Don't you think, Nick? Yeah, totally not my intention there. Uh, but we're, <laughs> we're going to be talking about, uh, talking about Code Sandbox uh, next week with... Um, Eves Van Horn. So that'll be a show to to check out. Stay tuned for that. Should be a good yes, one. A fun episode. Mark your calendars. Make room. Don't schedule anything during that time. Be there. So one, uh, I guess, tangentially related tool that I will point out if you're on Mac OS is a is, is a tool called Dash, which is not a uh, it's not documentation, but it's a tool that wraps documentation. And the cool thing about it is uh, the, it's an indie dev, and he's gone and normalized all kinds of API docs uh, that fit directly into a singular tool. So whether it's JavaScript or even the MDM docs or SQLite or jQuery or Git, you name it, uh, React, they've been normalized into a singular place, which are then taken offline and has a really slick interface. Um, I love it on airplanes because you don't have to worry about the, the internet, even if you have it being slow or if you don't have it, then you have your docs with you at all times. Um, it's a free app with in-app purchase, but um, something definitely worth checking out. I don't know if there are cross-platform or other platform alternatives, but there's something great about having a single access into all kinds of API docs and then also having them offline. It's just killer. Yes, Dash is awesome. I Ever since I found Dash, um, I've used it religiously. It's pretty much the only way I look up anything. Um, Highly recommended if you haven't tried it yet. Yep, and the website for Dash does mention a tool called Velocity, which is a Windows equivalent for that. Nice. I wanted to give a shout out to another documentation resource that I thought was great, and it's actually GitHub's. Um, and I would say it's not necessarily their API documentation, but more their like how tos and their reference guide. I think they do a really good job of having you know the text content that's I think on like docs.github.com, and then they've got their video content on their YouTube channel, and they do a really good job of making sure that Git is super accessible to people. In addition to obviously providing like the the GitHub web app. Yeah, that documentation is super helpful. 
uh, if you need to tell somebody how to to do something specific with GitHub or w- sorry with Git, GitHub usually has documentation for that, so you can just send them a link. A couple of guides I'll also mention here as we get to- towards the end. Uh, if you're looking for examples of not just like API docs or you know web service docs, but guides, and you're saying what what does a good guide look like? I will throw out two. Uh, the first one is the Ruby on Rails guides. Uh, which are spectacularly useful, useful, very great architecture of the way they're laid out, uh, high level, and yet they'll drill down uh, into specifics as you need them or they'll link out to specific uh, code samples or to specific you know, sections of the actual API docs if you want to learn more. And then secondly, GitHub has great open source guides as well, which are very high level, all about, you know, they're, they're kind of an intro to getting into open source and how to get and how to do these different things. Um, but they're very well laid out and very well written. And so another place to look for inspiration if you're looking for how to write good guides. Yeah, those are all the really good resources. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. Hopefully this conversation was inspiring, informative, motivating, um, and you got everything you needed to go out and start writing some documentation, whether it's open source or closed source, whatever source it is. Um, Thanks again for joining us. You can find links to all of the things that we mentioned at the description below. Um, And we will see you next week. All right. Thank you for tuning in to JS Party this week. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the shows. Head to changelaw.com slash community. And do us a favor, share this show with a friend, read us an Apple podcast, go into Overcast and favorite it. And thank you to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. And we move fast to fix things right here at ChangeLog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. We're hosted on Leno Cloud Servers. Head to Leno.com slash ChangeLog. Check them out and support this show. Our music is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. And you can find more shows just like this at ChangeLog.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. I'm Tim Smith, and my show Away From Keyboard explores the human side of creative work. You'll hear stories sometimes deeply personal about the triumphs and struggles of doing what you love. I ended up in hospital with burnout. I just kept ignoring the way that it was making me feel and just kept powering through it. And then eventually my body started to give me physical symptoms to say like, hey, you should stop and listen to me. New episodes premiere every other Wednesday. Find the show at changelog.com slash AFK or wherever you listen to podcasts.